Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Then we actually are logged in for three hours. We could actually have a three-hour radio broadcast. I don't have to use all three hours. I can hang up any time. But we have a lot of topics lined up. But one of the things that I said that we would be talking about is how to become a prophet. I was thinking, you know, how to become a prophet in ten easy lessons. How to become a prophet in one easy lesson. <laughs> but uh, the lesson really, that's deceptive. But... Uh, uh, it's the reality is the two most supposedly this is what I heard the statistics the two most reprinted books in the world today because they're reprinted in different languages is one of course is the Bible that is one of the top printed books in the whole world but number two or at least according to one statistical reference number two for books that are uh, reprinted in multiple languages is Nostradamus. Nostradamus and his prophecies from way back when. And uh, according to uh, the Time Lord Doctor Who, <laughs> Nostradamus' wife was a witty little knitter. I remember that. But I've read a lot of the, the uh, little poems that uh, he puts together and these... Uh, uh, sometimes he actually writes in prose, but very rarely, and that was supposedly to his son and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they're very cryptic, and people are constantly trying to read them and predict things. And supposedly he has predicted a lot of stuff around the time that he wrote them and shortly thereafter. But some of his uh, quatrains or whatever are made for much later in time, supposedly. Again, it's all very cryptic, written in another language, translated over what is what is difficult to tell. And, of course, that that's really the secret of the whole thing. You read the Bible, and a lot of people read the Bible because they want the edge. They, You know, probably I'm asked about Revelations. In the beginning, I was asked about Revelations probably more than any other book in the Bible. Revelation, uh, more than any other book in the Bible. As to what it means. And of course we have, you know, a page up on Mark of the Beast and we have Revelation in, uh, preparing you in our Bible study. I haven't done a great deal on that book, uh, that I published because of the fact that everybody wants to know the edge, want to get the edge on knowing the future, knowing what's coming because, you know, knowledge is power and knowing what's coming, you know, you can know who to bet on. Well, I'm betting on Christ, but I'm betting on the real Christ, not all the fake Christs that we were warned would be out there. And those fake Christs are usually people who say they're preaching Christ, and uh, even the Christ that they preach is not really the real Christ. It's a image of Christ created by theologians and people who want to believe certain narratives and of course we see that today in the news and we're always trying to equate the gospel to today in the news we see a certain narrative and we see people 
actually censoring the narrative so that you cannot see the whole truth. They don't want you to even know the options that you might have to believe to be true. They don't even want you to hear it. You can see that the evil is afraid of ideas, afraid of knowledge, afraid of information. Of course, that's why evil wanted you to eat of the tree of knowledge and then they could control that knowledge. And when they control that knowledge, they control you, which is why censorship is so important. And it's why the early Americans who had come here seeking liberty under God saw that censorship was one of the greatest dangers and free speech was absolutely important. And we started a series on free speech. We probably have some of the audios on, you know, you can look up free speech or it's actually under conversation because eventually this is, as we're going through Exodus, we're going to eventually get to the point where how do you get free once you find yourself in the bondage of Egypt. Now, most people in America, most people in the world today, do not want to believe that they're in the bondage of Egypt. They they want to believe that they are free souls under God and that they make their own decisions and they know what's going on and they're smart and they studied and they believe in Jesus. But they're, actually, we know that Jesus said many would think that but they would actually be workers of iniquity. And we've talked a great deal about what a worker of iniquity looks like. He he might have a, we talked about it this morning, a doctrine uh, that says, you know, that he believes in the Bible, the inerrant Bible. He believes that God is a monotheistic, but he believes also that there are three persons in God that, that, that somebody labeled a couple, you know, over a hundred years after Christ, they labeled that idea that, that uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They labeled that the Trinity. And then people create all kinds of doctrine around the Trinity, this word Trinity, which isn't in the Bible. But they create a doctrine around it, and they say you have to believe in the Trinity. Well, which Trinity? Because there's a lot of different doctrines about the Trinity and what it exactly means. And, And most of the people get around what it exactly means by saying it's a mystery. We don't know what it means. We just have to believe it. <laughs> and to some degree, that's true. But Because, like we were saying this morning and talking about Moses, Moses knew that he was supposed to go and set the people free. He was supposed to go and tell the pharaohs, you know, let my people go. And that we find out that God is going to harden the heart of the pharaoh and he's not going to let them go. And in fact, he's going to make life more difficult for them. And the people are upset with Moses and they're upset with Aaron and God. And Moses seems to be a little upset with God. Seems to be, depending on how you read it. And he's saying, what's the deal? You sent me to say, but now they're not free. They're actually under worse bondage. And then, of course, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to start to see why God set it up the way that he did, so that Moses would go there and then they would not believe uh, Moses. You know, Pharaoh would not do what Moses said for the uh, what they were to believe and, 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 and set the people free. Instead, he was going to make things even more difficult on the people. So, 
Anyway, I'm sending off to uh, the minister's group right now as we speak uh, another email that uh, is part of some of the things that are probably true that we will talk about, but we will have to wander around the edges a little bit because what I sent to them is link, at least one link that has been absolutely banned from the internet. <laughs> you, it's it's after, actually out there on the internet, and you could actually play. It's it's clips from an old TV show, and it's it's clip. But somebody put it together at uh, Brighton uh, dot com, and they put it together and they released it. And it now, evidently, the FBI, when they were still in control of Twitter and still in control of uh, Google and Facebook, and uh, therefore Messenger. They have it so that it's built into the software that if you try to send that link, it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> because, because, and they told me it was abusive. Now, all it is is clips from a TV show that's already aired, been out for a long time. And we mentioned another show, Utopia. A whole series of Utopia has basically the same uh, theme, at least in the first season. As that what we see in this X Files clips, uh, but you can't send it a lot of ways. I tried to send it on Twitter just yesterday, and it it just won't go. It it won't go out. Other tweets will go out, but that tweet will not go out. Somehow they have it built into the software. As soon as you try to send that through Twitter, it gets killed. Now maybe Elon Musk will change that, and maybe Elon Musk will not change that. And maybe there's something even more important that you need to know. Because I don't know that, you know, I don't get my prophecies from (laughs) X-Files. It's interesting. I do believe that somehow in the scheme of things, everything, I joke about it, everything that is going to happen happens on TV first. (laughs) Because there seems to be almost like, I don't know if Satan's rubbing his nose, our nose in it, but he shows us things, puts it on TV, puts it in the movies. Why don't we just have movies and no TV? And then it actually came about, you know. And so, is that actually a thing? Is that, uh, is it a part of, uh, you know, deep down we know what the truth is, we just don't want to admit it? I mean, there's so many people under the strong delusion, like, you know, uh, what a cis, cisgender white person is somebody who actually believes that he's the gender that was assigned to him at birth. Well, I don't want to shake anybody up uh, or create controversy, but you are assigned a gender at conception. And like the guy says, if if you got a Y, then you're a guy. Because <laughs> you have XY chromosomes in, in one gender and only XX uh, chromosomes in the other gender. So, these are, these are reality, but they, people who, uh, don't want to see the truth would prefer a delusion to the truth. They first start with, you know, they talk about gender dysphoria, dysphoria. Used to be called gender delusion, but then they get a nicer, more politically correct term, dysphoria. Uh, well, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, and, uh, how do you know if you read Revelation or the Bible, how do you know that your private interpretation is accurate? I mean, if you're reading it to find out what the future holds, how do you know if you've interpreted it right? Because if you haven't, you will think that this is what's going to happen in the future, and it's actually something quite 
completely different. And, and it's the same way with the uh, writings of Nostradamus. You can read it and you can speculate. Yeah, it's kind of fun to read it and try to solve the puzzle. But really, do you want to stake your life, your immortal soul, the lives of your family on your interpretation of Nostradamus? Uh, that is probably not a really good strategy. <laughs> the same as your interpretation of the Bible. Because you could be wrong. Again, evil wanted you to eat of the tree of knowledge. That's the tree of information, we could say. The tree of your intellect as a source. So that you personally try to figure out what is true and what is false. Why? Because then evil can manipulate that information. And he will tell you something. He will spread a narrative that you think is true that just ain't so. And so that gets you into a lot of trouble. And so I got a lot of things down that I've been putting down in notes over the week. They wanted certain words banned from Twitter, banned from Facebook, so you couldn't even say them. And one of them is groomer. You can't call people uh, Representative Katie Porter, Democrat from California, she said definitely, the groomer narrative is an age-old lie to position LGBTQ plus people as a threat to kids. And what it does is deny them the access to public spaces and stokes fear and can even stoke violence. Well, you know, there's whole movies made. Maybe I should send her a clip from some of those movies. Yeah, Harvey Milk movie. Where it's, uh, somebody was saying it's unnatural. Homosexuality is unnatural because it doesn't produce any children. And he says, well, we keep trying. And laughs and makes it a big joke. But the reality is, is they say, we have to recruit. That has always been a theme. Amongst the gay, no, I'm not saying every gay thinks in those terms, or every person who thinks they're gay thinks in those terms, but that's definitely a theme, and and there really is such a thing as grooming, but there's also grooming, biblically speaking, you can be a false gospel groomer, you could be saying things about the gospel that isn't so, grooming people to believe a false gospel. I mean, the word can be applied to a lot of things. You could be grooming people to be a socialist, you know, with words like democratic socialism. I'm not talking about the socialism in, in uh, you know, whatever country, communist country, because they, they try to not make any of them out as bad. But I'm talking about democratic socialism as if somehow that makes a difference. Well, Karl Marx was in favor of democracy, because he says democracy leads to socialism and socialism leads to communism. So you have to define all your terms. And you, but you need to be willing to have the discussion. So that's why I'm against censoring. That's why we have a call in. If somebody has a different opinion than me, they can come on and say it. Now I can mute them. I can shut them off. But uh, I can also hear what they have to say. And maybe they have something good to say. And maybe they will uh, spawn a very interesting conversation. But uh, until they do, uh, we'll just have to wait and see whether they can come up with an interesting conversation. 
Another thing that we got out of this Katie Porter Democrat from California, it's got one purpose. It is to dehumanize us and make it feel like we are not a part of this American society. And it has a real life consequence. So we are calling on social media companies to uphold their community standards and we're, we are also calling on any American that is seeing this play out to hold ourselves and our community members accountable. So you can't say groomer. That's basically what she's saying. You don't want this. The reality is is that society in the present, and that's one of the things I mentioned in advertising this particular show, is that we were going to talk about the past, present, and future. Society is born out of the family. It's not born out of homosexual relationships. That's not where society comes from. Society comes from heterosexual relationships. And it doesn't come from uh, two guys where one guy wants to think that he's a girl. You're not going to get the next generation that way. And uh, it, you're not going to get the next generation to, to, from two girls who want to think that one of them is a guy. It, that's not where generations come from. And statistically, you, you know, you can point out that if you have a man and woman in a household, the families, generally speaking, it's statistical, uh, are going, the, going to turn out much better. But the reality is, is that nature tells us that male and female produce the next generation. That's how you go from generation to generation. And as we said many times, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And, of course, the kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. So if you want the right to be ruled by God, you have to guard your generations. And you can't let people undermine the natural course of the reproduction of the next generation. And, of course, that's exactly what we've seen in numerous different ways. And we will take a look at some of those numerous different ways. Uh, she goes on to say, we wouldn't accept this in our families, we wouldn't accept this in our schools, and there's no reason to accept it online. Well, the reality is, in my family, our family is our school, because we're all home taught. <laughs> so, I've never been to public school a day in my life, and uh, I'm almost three quarters of a century old. Uh, my kids didn't go to public school, and... Uh, I would love it if all of my grandkids never went to public school. Uh, but the reality is, is that Christians shouldn't be going to public school because public school is supported by men who exercise authority one over the other and force your neighbor to contribute to the creation of your public school. And you can say, well, they forced me, so then, yeah, I have a right to send my kids to school because I was forced to contribute. But then now you're just the age-old argument that, uh, you know, uh, someone sins against me, so I get to sin against other people. You know, somebody somebody hits me, so I get to hit other people. Somebody tried to kill me, so I get to try to kill other people. Somebody robbed me, so I get to rob other people. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, if if somebody 
is forcing you to contribute to their school, uh, the Christian thing to do is to forgive them. Now, bringing up forgiveness, I brought it up this morning when I was talking about the doctrines of religious groups where they had supposedly, this is the doctrine of their religious group that follows Christ, and they had all these things and they never mentioned forgiveness once. Never mentioned it once. They never mentioned charity once. They never mentioned love once. And the whole, the whole thing. They never quoted Jesus once. Uh, so far, they did have a few, you know, snippets where they had Bible verses by, you know, verse and chapter there. But I, I haven't looked up every one that they had. But I, most of the ones that I did see immediately, right off the top, I know they're not the words of Jesus. They're the words of Paul, the words of Peter, the words of Moses, the words of Joshua, but they're not the words of Jesus Christ. Now, there may be one, I haven't looked at every single one, but I've, I looked at the vast majority of them, and the vast majority of them were not the actual words. The words of Jesus Christ are the doctrines of Jesus Christ, because doctrine means teachings. So, if you go to a particular church now, they probably have a doctrinal statement somewhere in your church. So you can go to that church and ask them for the doctrinal statements. You read it yourself and look for the words of Jesus because the words of Jesus are the doctrines of Jesus. It's what he taught. That's that's how he taught it. He said words. Now, there's more to it than just the words of Jesus. There's the context and, and what Jesus did and and, uh, of course, we have Paul explaining some of this, Peter explaining some of this. So, it is absolutely reasonable to have some of their quotes in your doctrine. But it should be known that those quoting Peter and Paul are simply supporting doctrines that Jesus actually said. That's, a, that's very important. That's just common sense. And so, understanding that... We know we should not be coveting our neighbor's goods. Jesus said we shouldn't be coveting. We should be keeping the commandments. And there's one in there about not coveting anything that is your neighbor's. And that we should be forgiving. And so if somebody forces us to contribute to their school, we forgive them. And then we create either homeschool or create a private school or a combination of both, which is usually recommended where, and if you're gathering together like Jesus actually commanded in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that you could have a daily ministration based on what? Based on charity. Wow! Jesus wants us to take care of one another in pure religion, which is a daily ministration that operates entirely on charity. So that's another thing you can take a look at. Are you a part of a daily ministration that takes care of the needy of your society entirely by charity? No? Well, then, your church doesn't preach that? Well, then, your church doesn't preach Christ. It it, it preaches some sort of image of Christ. And maybe part of those images that they give you and some of the things they tell you about Christ are really good things. But they're not teaching the whole truth about Christ. And if you're not teaching the whole truth about Christ, uh, you're preaching a lie. So that's very important to know. So what happens when you have a society that doesn't 
doesn't actually follow Moses or follow Jesus Christ. Because Moses and Jesus Christ said to love your neighbor as yourself and to take away from your neighbor or to ask somebody else like the sheriff and the tax collector, will you please go to my neighbor's house and take money away from them so that I can have free education for my kids? Because I don't, I don't want to pay for private school. I, I don't want to take the time to homeschool my kids. I, I don't want to get together with nine other families and, you know, help one another out in the education of our children so that our next generation is wise and, and, and intelligent and moral and have values. We, we don't want to be bothered with that. We just want the government to educate our kids and we're going to need lots of money to do that. So we're going to ask you to pass laws to tax our neighbor and, uh, you know, take money away from our neighbor. And if he doesn't want to give it, we want you to send the sheriff down and take his whole house away from him and sell it to somebody who will pay for what we want, which is free education. We want free education for our kids because we don't want to be, you know, taking the time to educate our kids ourselves. I mean, what do you think we are? Christians? No, 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 we're not Christians. Oh, we're, oh, we're fake Christians. We're false Christians. We profess Christ, but we don't want to do what he said. We want to do what we want to do. And what we want to do is covet our neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. And we don't care that Jesus said that it was not to be that way with us. In Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, and really also in John, in a little bit different way. Every, everything is said in John, but usually in a little bit different way. We we want to covet our neighbor's goods, and we want men who exercise authority to help us do that so that we can have free stuff. Because we we love our neighbor, but we love our free stuff more than we love our neighbor. So there you go. You know, now I'm being a little sarcastic because I'm imitating a false Christian. You tell me if that shoe fits. If that shoe fits, that shoe fits. And if you don't think it fits, but it does fit, uh, then you may be under a strong delusion. So, what are we learning from this? Is that the whole world seems to be deceived into thinking they're Christian, you know, a lot, the Christian world anyway, the, the fake Christian world thinks they're Christians, but they're not really. Because they're not really following the doctrines of Jesus. They're going to church, but the church's doctrines are not the doctrines of Jesus. They're the doctrines of that church. You know, and, and they tell you what you have to think about God. Because they believe that religion is what you think about God. And if you don't believe me, you can look it up on Google. Google religion. And they'll give you a definition that it's what you think about a supreme being. That That's what religion is today. Google tells you that. So you know it's true. You read it on the internet. But the reality is, is that you don't know is it's not true. That religion just 200 years ago when your precious constitution was written up, which 90% of the people who profess the, con- the constitution don't understand the constitution. <laughs> In one aspect or another, they understand bits and pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. The idea of creating a false narrative didn't begin with COVID. 
it didn't begin with LBJ and his war on poverty, which has made the country poorer than ever and the people in the country poorer than ever. It didn't begin with the New Deal of FDR. Although there, these were great strides forwards to the doomsday that is coming. But it wasn't where it began. People talk about the, the new normal. That was it. But it, the new normal was brought to you by the old normal. And the old normal was brought to you by the normal before that. And the older, older normal brought you the old normal. And so it's... Because it, we live in the cause and effect universe, which we talked about this morning. This this is the law of nature. The law of nature includes the cause and effect. The law of nature, divine will, right reason are convertible phrases. So, yeah, we live in a universe of cause and effect. And so, whatever your normal is today will control your normal tomorrow. Unless... You break the cycle. If you don't break the cycle, you will become crazier and crazier and crazier and farther and farther away from right reason. And you will invent whole systems of reasoning where you, you know, where you'll get so crazy you'll actually think that guys can become girls and girls can become guys and, and that a guy who becomes a girl, even though he's six foot, uh, he can get into a wrestling ring and beat the tar out of a woman <laughs> in that wrestling ring. And it's okay. You know, when I was growing up, you didn't hit girls. But if you say you're a girl, you can hit a girl now. Is, is that delusional or what? And how did we get to that? Well, grooming. <laughs> Not just homosexual grooming and recruiting or something like that. But we got to that because... They fed you ideas, and they didn't feed you the truth. They fed you ideas, because you weren't going to the mountains of Samaria, which are the mountains of truth. And I said we'd talk a little bit about the mountains of Samaria, and in our series on prophets, you know, the minor prophets, we went through a lot of the minor prophets, we we cover what the mountains of Samaria are, to some degree. You know, in every show I try to put in certain pearls. I have to repeat stuff that are in other, but I always add a new pearl into every show. So here's the new pearl. The mountains of Samaria are just like any other mountain. Now, remember we've talked about altars of clay and stone, and we talked about that this morning briefly, and we have, you look up sophistry, look up altars, look up clay and stone at preparing you, and we have... And, you know, audios and articles that explain what those were. Those, those altars of stone were living men. And the altars of clay are living men. They play at a little bit different function. The altars of clay are the elders and their families. They're an essential part of the kingdom of God. And the altars of stone play a role too. They have a certain duty to help with the redistribution of wealth. But they cannot exercise authority one over the other because they're naked. They have no authority over the people. And you never ever... If you give power to your ministers, to your government, which is really where most of your ministers are, to exercise authority, to force the contributions of the people... And you usually do this because you say, I want you to force my neighbor to contribute. 
That's where it starts. But then, guess what? Your neighbor now gets to force you. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. This is part of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. As you judge, so shall you be judged. If that's not in the doctrines of your church, your church is missing an important doctrine of Jesus Christ. And, and that doctrine is very much a part of what Jesus calls the weightier matters. Understanding that you live in a cause and effect universe. And if you choose to do things a certain way, there's going to be an effect. That, it's that simple. You're creating the world around you. Because you're either one of those stones or some of that clay. <laughs> okay, if you take all kinds of stones and all kinds of clay and you put it in a big pile, you know what you got? You got the mountains of Samaria. If, if those stones receive the truth, they hear the truth. Did you know rocks can hear? Did you know that? <laughs> if, if you went up to a rock, I mean, just a rock, a boulder. I got lots of boulders. We got lots of rocks out here in the desert. You go up to that rock. You can speak to that rock. Did you know that? Especially if you're a prophet, you can speak to that rock. And that rock will hear what you say. That That's true. But what do I mean by that? It doesn't know it heard what you said. <laughs> but what you said, you vibrated your larynx. That vibrated the air in front of you. The sound of your voice comes out of your mouth, vibrating the air and traveling through the air. That vibration travels until it hits the rock. And the rock absorbs that sound, those vibrations that you said to it. They will absorb those sounds. They don't know they absorb those sounds. But they did absorb those sounds and they were affected by it. You probably can't see the effect on it unless you had, you know, maybe a microphone hidden behind the rock or something. <laughs> and it detected those vibrations that were absorbed by the rock. And so why do I say that? You know, I'm not creating some bizarre doctrine here. It's the fact is that when you speak in an oxygen environment, air environment, the voice travels in the air because the air is hearing what you said. It's it's feeling the vibrations and it's reacting to the vibrations and those vibrations will continue until they hit the rock. If you were in a room, a soundproof booth, and you spoke, where's the sound go? It's absorbed in the walls of the soundproof booth and supposedly never escapes. But the soundproof, soundproof booth heard you because you spoke in an oxygen-filled environment. Now, if you were in, in the deep recesses of space and you spoke, how far does the sound go then? Well, there's no air, so it can't vibrate in the way that it does in an air environment. But your larynx, I mean, when you spoke, now, if you could speak in a vacuum, <laughs> well, you speak in your spacesuit. 
if you're in a spacesuit and they're in a spacesuit, and you take the two glasses of the spacesuit and you touch them to each other, and the one spaceman speaks, and it travels through the air in a spacesuit to the glass, or plastic or whatever it's made out of, and it vibrates that glass, it could actually vibrate the glass of the other guy's spacesuit and then pass through the air in his spacesuit until he hears it in his ear. So you could talk to him. But if you separate those two spacesuits so there's a vacuum in between, there's no way for that sound, as we know sound, to get over there. But is it vibrating anything else? Is there something else that is affected? Well, everything is... We live in a... When you vibrate the outside of that glass of your spacesuit, it's affecting... Even though you think you're in a vacuum, a vacuum, no air, there's something there. There's space. And that's, you know, now we get into something extremely metaphysical. So we're going to jump. The fact is, is that whatever you do has an effect. I can tell you when you speak into your spacesuit, your ears are hearing you in that spacesuit. So yeah, there's an effect there. You know, many times when I'm talking, I... Uh, about certain things, people ask me a question uh, about something. I didn't know the answer before they asked the question. It was their question that drew the answer out of me. And when I'm answering the question, sometimes it's the first I heard this answer. And it depends upon the spirit of which they are asking the question. If they're not moving from the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit may not respond. If their question is not a genuine question to hear the answer of the Holy Spirit, then they probably won't get the answer from the Holy Spirit. So I may have to reframe their question and try to bring them back to the Holy Spirit. Because... That is that is what's going to make the difference. You know, Noah, you've all Noah Harari recently said you could use technology to increase the efficiency of people, the intelligence of people at the price of the things like artistic sensitivity and spiritual depth. That that's what he says. You you can you can improve the efficiency of people, even their intelligence, but you will lose artistic sensitivity and spiritual depth. In other words, they can make you more a robot. (laughs) I guess. He says, what kind of army needs its soldiers to have spiritual depth? Well, I can tell you whose army needs spiritual depth. You know, when when they had to face all kinds of enemies in the Bible, at one point, they had thousands of guys they were going to have to face, and they only had, a, uh, they had several thousand Israelites who were willing to face them. Now, the Israelites had undergone a great many changes uh, over the generations of their wandering in the desert. But they they were going to have to fight these foes. And God says, I don't want you to take everybody. I just want you to take 300 guys. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 300 guys? That's it? To face all these troops? 
That's crazy. I mean, that's a, like a suicide mission. Isn't that what you would think? But no, he says, we just want 300 guys. And he told you how to pick the 300 guys. And they went and picked the 300 guys and they won. How how they do that? How do they know to do that? Well, because amongst Israel, not all the Israelites, there was developing a mountain of Samaria where people would actually see the truth. Individuals were not learning how to do certain things. Individuals were learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. They were becoming prophets. I mean, we we know the minor prophets wrote this and that and everything, and people came along and read what they wrote. And we know that a lot of them, as we've gone through the minor prophets, were very cryptic, uh, and sometimes more cryptic than even Nostradamus. But it didn't matter, because ultimately the ones who would hear the message are also listening to the Spirit. And the message was simply to confirm what they were already hearing in their hearts and their minds. And so how do you get to this state where you're listening to God in your heart and in your mind? Well, obviously, it's not through the technology of Noah Harari. It's actually through spiritual depth. And spiritual depth is not emotional depth. So you don't want to expand your emotional depth and get all excited about the Lord and and thrilled about the Lord and emotional about the Lord because the Spirit is not the same as emotion. As a matter of fact, some of the most spiritual moments I've seen in my life have been starkly absent of emotion. Oh, contentment, certainly. Uh, Feeling of uh, peace... Certainly. But I couldn't call those moments emotional. As a matter of fact, they were, like I said, decidedly absent of emotion. Noah Harari also said, We will learn how to engineer bodies, brains, and minds. Now, that's interesting. Brains and minds. As if there's a distinction between those two. And to him, there evidently is. These will be the main product of the 21st century economy. That's because he's a part of the Great Reset. He's he's going to reset the economy. And they think they're going to win. They have no idea that they're actually playing into the hands of evil. They think they have knowledge of something that you don't know, and they're not going to tell you. And and they think that they have allies on their side. That will give them great power, and and they have been given some power, some technologies, and they're going to use that for what they think will be the betterment of society. But their motivation is power. That's what they really want. And it's actually going to bring about the destruction of millions upon millions of people. And generations will be no more. Many generations will be no more. They will be wiped clean off the face of the earth. And that's their goal. But just like, you know, communism, Stalin had his useful idiots and then sent them off to gulags to die. (laughs) Once he got the power, he just sent them off to die. 
somewhere else. And, and he talks, of, uh, by the way, not only does he say that's the chief product of the 21st century economy, he says, how will the future masters of the planet look like? That's what he says. What will they look like? Well, you know who they, they're going to look like? Well, I know what he thinks they will look like. <laughs> but they're not going to look like that. They're going to look quite different. This will be decided by the people who own the data. And to him, the data is truth. The data is, you know, it's it's kind of a symbolic uh, term for for the truth. But he has no idea what he's talking about. Because he's actually uh, um, under a strong delusion. When you talk about data, there's several different ways. You know, like in GMOs, they alter the genetics of a GMO, genetically modified organism. And then somebody has a property right in that object, that genetically modified organism. And now that organism belongs to them. And even if that organism were to breed with somebody else, uh, they could have those children, if they could breed, they could have those children exterminated according to the precepts that we see in modern uh, genetic modification law that is being established in Canada and the United States and all over the world. Now, some countries are forbidding genetic modification and genetically modified organisms. But they all accepted the RNA vaccinations. Now, RNA, theoretically, according to one theory, cannot alter DNA. But according to other theories, through transcription, it can alter DNA. So, who am I to say which is true? I don't know. These are different theories, right? I w- how would I know? Do I look like a scientist? <laughs> Well, no, but but that's that's out there. Now, that brings us back to those uh, videos that I can't send to you. I can't send them to you on Facebook. I can't send them to you on Twitter. And now I sent them to the minister group, and I assume they got it. And if they didn't, well, then you just have to join the whole network. You see, it's not going to go out on the Google groups necessarily. It will go out to individuals and individual emails or somebody can text it to you in your phone or what have you so that you can see these things. I'm not saying that you won't get on a list when you access the page or at least your URL so you can do it from an... But the reality is is that we're all going to be on a list. Our salvation isn't to be cleverer than them. It's to do the will of God. But the trick is, how do we know what the will of God is? Well, we can read the Bible, right? But how do you know your interpretation is correct? Uh, you can listen to prophets. But how do you know if you're understanding what the prophet is really saying? Ultimately, this very individualistic journey, and you're going to have to figure out how it works. Uh you know, he goes on to say all kinds of things. Harari says, uh, and this is all just recently, we are in the process of developing divine abilities and turning ourselves into gods. And I mean this in the most literal sense possible. It's not a metaphor. That's what he says. 
I actually have the links to where he said it, so you can go listen to him actually say it. Uh, he goes on to say, people all over the world are turning to scientists. Churches all over the world are telling people, don't come to church because the scientists said so. Science is not about truth. It's about power. He said that. I didn't say it. He said that. But the truth is, the real power is in the law of nature. And the law of nature is the will of God. And the will of God is right reasoning. But you don't have right reasoning if somebody is controlling the information in your tree of knowledge. If they're only letting you see certain things. So, this is actually what's happening. And one of the things that I, I, I point out, uh, because a lot of people, you know, they, they try to, we have a whole page on, you know, the Ten Statements, what we call the Ten Commandments, and what each of those actually means, what it means to honor thy father and thy mother, what it means to covet thy neighbor's goods, or covet anything that is thy neighbor's, uh, covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, you know, if if... You're a woman in the workplace and they're taking a portion of your labor. They're taking a portion of your labor because they covet their neighbor's wife. Yeah. Now, I said it this morning when I was talking about Exodus 5. And that, that audio will eventually go up in our study on Exodus 5. And you can go back and listen to it. But I said, that, I, I quoted what it says is that the men were going to have to turn in their tally of bricks. Because the tally of bricks and the income tax, which was paid in bricks for most of the Israelites. Not all the Israelites made bricks. That's very clear in the text. But there was a lot of brick making going on in Goshen at that particular time. And why? Because you needed clay, you needed sand, and you could get that from the Nile River. There was deposits there being made every year by the Nile River to put clay and sand and they were dredging this up and pulling it up on shore and then mixing it with straw and turning it into bricks and those bricks were shipped all over as a building supplies all over Egypt and you know that that's what they did and that was one of the things that that community they put these extra burdens on that community because they were strategically located for doing this and that was the tally that the whole community, they had already isolated the community over the years as part of their crafts of state. And so the Israelites were in this closed-in community and, and often had to learn to take care of one another. And they developed a network, you know, that a lot of them were related. And now uh, they... They had to pay their tally of bricks, which was their income tax, by making a certain number of bricks. And it's interesting to note that it was no longer one-fifth of your labor. They had determined, through their taskmasters, that this number of men needed to produce this number of bricks. And this had become a burden on them. Now, remember, we talked about they had decreased the number of males in this area through a variety of schemes because they wanted to reduce the population, yet the population continued to grow. 
I can show you today, today in some of these areas where brick making is still going on by hand. And a large number of the workers are small boys making the bricks. That's is still going on today. Today, you can you can probably find Google it and find brick making boys uh, in foreign countries. I don't know brick making by boys, and uh, you'll find they got video of them making bricks because it's not a highly skilled job. It just takes a lot of labor. And so, if you had more boy children, does the tally of bricks go up? Well, you have a boy child and another boy child. Okay, now you've got twice as many bricks that you have to make. So, having lots of boy children now is expensive because somebody, the boy may be too young to make the brick, but you still have to come up with the numbers. But when they said no more straw, it was the men, the counting the men that was going to increase uh didn't increase the number of bricks, but the work was increased because now they had to go somewhere else and get the straw. And like I pointed out, is it scattered the Israelites outside of their community all over Egypt. So now they're traveling around all over Egypt trying to get enough straw to make bricks. And they're, they're probably trading. They're probably uh building carts because they got to go get the straw and bring it back. So, Israelites, before they were just making bricks, now they're in the trucking business. See, if we were sitting down in the network, unlike the truckers that you saw in Canada, unlike many of the American truckers who came together and had a community of truckers, this is one of the things, I'm looking at the clock here, I can keep going longer. People talk about the, the, the gay community, the LGBT community. There is no such thing. You know, there's an Amish community. I've seen an Amish community. But there is no LGBT community. If you're going to use the word community, as it was originally meant, a community has a a common communion. And a communion is the free bread of your community. It's how you take care of the needy of your society. Christians do it with pure religion. Most people saying they're Christians, they don't practice pure religion. They practice public religion. If they want to take care of the elderly at their church, they go to the government. We, I had a story this morning talking about that. They go to a, the government to get, you know, aid, welfare, social security. The government's going to, and the government is operating like the governments of the Gentiles. They exercise authority one over the other, and they force the contributions of the people. Christians don't do that. Israelites weren't doing that. They had been doing that, and that's how they got into the bondage of Egypt. But now they were going to have to learn to take care of themselves, because no more benefits are coming from the Pharaoh. So, what, you know, I'll probably put this recording on the Egypt page. As a follow-up. But I'm trying to tie these ideas together. Is that they're not, they're not depending on the government to get them straw. They're not depending on the government because they're probably not going to get any other benefits either. But they're out there now. They've entered the trucking industry so they know how to transport stuff. So this will come in very handy when they leave Egypt. 
because they will have the the ability to transport stuff. Uh, they're making friends with Egyptians because they're making deals. They have to make deals with the Egyptians to get straw. You know, and they go to one Egyptian and he's going to drive a hard bargain. They're going to go to another Egyptian who realizes, you know, it's really not being fair. And we see this in, in the narrative that Pharaoh's not being fair and he doesn't care. And they say, well, heck, I'll, I'll help them out. You know, they said that they'll bring me some extra bricks and I could use some extra bricks. And they'll take back a load of straw. Because the cart's got to go both ways, you know, and you want to have a backhaul. <laughs> so, you know, everybody in the trucking business knows that. But the trucking community in Canada that we saw in the demonstrations, they were all fired up and they really cared about it and they had principles in mind and everything. But they really weren't a community. They didn't have their own banking system. They didn't have their own social welfare system. And this is one of the problems in Canada. I mean, one of the biggest dangers in Canada is euthanasia today. It's one of the major causes of death. It's getting to be one of the top causes of death. Is they're killing old people. They're killing veterans uh, with assisted suicide by the government. They will give you assisted suicide free. Last bit of medical care you're going to get. But they will do that because they don't really love you. They haven't been practicing love in Canada for 100 years. Oh, the feeling and the fancy they've been doing. Oh, they say they love their neighbor. Oh, they get all teary-eyed when they play their music. It's the same as they do in the churches. But nobody's actually laying down their life for their fellow man. Nobody's actually taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society. They're not doing that. That isn't what they're doing. So, anyway, we, I'm going to take us to a break. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I was thinking about sending out another notice to see if we can get more people. But it is Christmas Eve, and I'm sure a lot of people are home watching, you know, some of the the famous Christmas shows like I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas or uh, maybe uh, It's a Wonderful Life or maybe some of those other Christmas greats like Die Hard. <laughs> well, whatever it is. But I see some numbers that are popping up for some reason now all of a sudden. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll continue this for a little bit longer. Uh, like I said, if you want to see some of those videos that uh, I shared with the ministers group, you know, just join the network and uh, get a hold of the ministers. And uh, and maybe they can forward it on to you. They probably shouldn't use email. <laughs> You probably could use email. You could break it up where you could take the dot .com out and put in the word dot and the word com and then the people just have to put it together themselves. But uh, it's evidently very heavily censored. But really the only reason I bring this up is there's a lot of other censoring that's going to come down the pike. And there's a lot of other information that is going to come down the pike that you may need to know. But what you're really going to need to know is a filter on how to know when you're interpreting the message correctly, when you're hearing the truth, and when you're not hearing the truth. And one of the ways to know that is to know yourself. Uh, and one of the ways to do that is meditation at preparingyou.com. I have a page on meditation. And... Uh, I've added to that quite a bit this week. I've added a whole section 
in the meditation uh, page. Let's see, if do I have that open? I don't know if I have that open. Uh, I was going to talk about Sabbath, but I'll be here all day talk about Sabbath is not counting days. Sabbath is staying out of debt. And people are not staying out of debt. They are not. Their whole nation is in debt. And that's why I also beefed up the LBJ, L, LBJs and uh, uh, War on Poverty because that is destroying. You know, reparations, uh, universal basic income, all these things are designed to break down your society, break down your generations. The sexual revolution where suddenly you didn't have to be honorable to your family, you didn't have to be faithful to your spouse, uh, that always, in two generations after a major sexual revolution in a country, two generations, you will see population decline. You will see a decline in civilization. Historians have looked this over, they've written whole books on it, that that is the case. And the reason why is it breaks down the family. And of course, then all of a sudden, unnatural acts and homosexuality becomes okay. Now, I don't want to beat up homosexuals. I don't believe that most people who think they're homosexuals are actually homosexuals. They may be doing homosexual things. They may have homosexual tendencies. But I don't think they're any more homosexuals than I think that a guy can become a girl. Because he thinks he's a girl. He thinks he can become a girl. No. This is part of that mental delusion that comes about. But it's the same mental delusion you have where people think they become a Christian because they say magic words, because they recite a doctrinal statement uh, that isn't ever said by Christ. Uh, that, as a matter of fact, they don't even know a lot of times what Christ actually said. And the doctrines of their church don't include Christ. Oh, they make a reference to Christ, but they don't include what he says. And, and you know, just ask your pastor what the weightier matters are. Because Jesus said these are the weightier matters. If he doesn't know, then he probably doesn't know Christ. Probably doesn't. I don't know. But you have to stop taking people at face value and start finding out for yourself what is the truth. So, on our page on meditation, we have battling enemies in all dimensions. And we talked this morning in the Exodus show, Exodus 5, about the double gimel. And we've talked about the double taw, this idea that the Israelites were taking two letters and putting them in the same word, although they're not normally both in the same word. They take a word and they just add this other letter, so suddenly there's a double letter in there. It's not normally in there. And they don't do it to pronounce it different because uh, Hebrew was never written to be pronounced. They learned to pronounce it later, but it, it's a written language. It's written to be written. And and so putting the extra letter in there is adding to the meaning. And a double talk means what we see in in the Greek in the New Testament means in spirit and in truth. Now, if we go back to Genesis the physical world was created because of the existence of the spiritual world. The spiritual world was not created by the physical world. It was the other way around. It's the natural order of things. And so whatever this spiritual world is, it created this physical world that we see around us. And if you want to change 
the effect that we see taking place in the physical world, you know, like the rise of tyranny, the breakdown of society, uh, the destruction of the human genome. If you want to alter that back to what it should be, not back to the old way, but back to the righteous way of God, the correct way, the right reason of God, the law of nature of God, the will of God. If you want to go back to that, you have to change in spirit. You can't just do physical, you know, chants or physical rituals and alter the spirit. You can't just do that. You can't just give to charity and say, well, now I've been charitable, so now my spirit will be altered. No, it doesn't work. You have to actually deal with things on a spiritual basis. And one of the problems with dealing with things on a spiritual basis is that you've been eating of the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, almost exclusively, almost, nobody has exclusively, for decades now, maybe generations now, more and more, eating of the tree of knowledge rather than eating of the tree of life. Now, the tree of life, if you look at those Hebrew words, the tree of life has to do with spirit, the tree of the spirit. So you want to eat of the tree of the spirit. The problem is, is you got this intellect that's in the way. Now, some people have really you know, really sharp and they're really intellectual abilities and they can hold lots of information and ideas and they just, you know, they're like athletes mentally. And other people are not so good. They're a little bit more scattered in their thoughts. They can't remember everything, uh, you know, like me. <laughs> I'm a little bit dyslexic mentally. Um, that's okay because in my weakness there is strength. Because I didn't fall for a lot of the things that other people fell for because I didn't, I didn't understand them. But I also have this need that the pieces of the puzzle have to fit. So this is where we're all in this different position, but we all have fallen prey to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is our mental capacity. Now we're supposed to have a tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're supposed to have a mental capacity. But it's not the source. The source of our direction has to be spiritual. Not emotional. Not ideological. But spiritual. And a lot of people can't distinguish the difference between what is the spirit and what is the intellect. I mean, you you get a message in your mind and you think, oh, God is telling me this. Is it? Is it really God? Is this really revelation? In your heart and in your mind, from God? Or is this from your imagination? Or is it from other people's imagination? Things you've been taught and told. And you have to allow those things to be separated. And you don't know how to separate them out. You say, I read the Bible. Well, you can read the Bible and that's great. But how do you know your interpretation is right? The only way you can interpret, properly interpret, the writings of the Holy Spirit is with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you try to use the tree of knowledge to interpret the writings of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get it wrong. Eventually, you're going to get it wrong. Probably, inevitably, you're going to get it wrong more times than not. Because there are so many options out there of how to interpret things. So, what you have to do is learn to be still. Still that mind. Stop eating of the tree of knowledge. Not all day long, maybe, and not completely, not totally cold turkey. 
But you have to start this other process and allow your mind to be still so that you can start to observe what's really going on in your mind in the hopes that the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to you. So on our meditation page at Preparing You, we have the first heading, at least it is today, Battling the Enemies in All Dimensions. In other words, in the spiritual dimension and in the physical dimension. If you just battle your enemies in the physical dimension, you're not going to solve the problem. Because the enemy of the truth is actually begins in a spiritual dimension. They're interdimensional, let's put it that way. And then uh, contemplating in depth. So... You know, is contemplating in depth more and more logic, more and more branches of the tree of knowledge, or is it going all the way down to the bottom of things, to the spirit? And then I have audio meditation, audios that I have on the meditation. Then I have a new section, meditation studies and immunity enhancement. And... uh they, they've done some studies now, and I quote them in here. I won't go through all of them because they're not going to spend, I'm not going to stay in here for the full three hours, but we're going a little bit longer. Uh, experienced meditation teachers found that 65% increase in dopamine production after meditating for one hour, which may be attributed to a loss of executive control during meditation. What does that mean? Loss of executive control. And that's a quote. I'm quoting their study. This loss may be a surrender or relinquishment of your willful and mental executive control during meditation. Now that's actually kind of dangerous. Unless you're surrendering or relinquishing your willful or mental executive control to Christ. So this is where Christ comes in. People talk about Christ and you have an image of Christ in your mind. That image may be correct. It may not be correct. And of course we talk about all kinds of things where people think they're following Christ and they're absolutely doing the opposite of what Christ said to do. So they're not actually following Christ. They're following a false image of Christ which Christ warned us about. So it says, by practicing a technique or meditation exercise where our mental state is, and I'm quoting here, thought to be organized in open loops, uh, subserving executive control. Can the benefit of meditation be manifested? What we actually are doing during proper meditation is what we need to find out what what is that that we're actually doing. And I've told stories about it, and it's probably up there in the recording where people stopped meditating because they realized they were meditating for the wrong reason. And I asked them, when did you realize this? And they said, while I was meditating. So the very source of their revelation was during meditation, and so they're going to stop meditating. <laughs> that is like you're running from revelation, personal revelation. You're starting to see things that you didn't, that are uncomfortable, and so you say, I don't want to meditate anymore. But what it is, is you're sitting and waiting upon the Lord. But the studies actually go on and talk about dopamine as a key hormone that regulates 
the activation of our immune system. Uh, neurotransmitter uh, dopamine, which uh, they call DA, can not only activate nave or resting T cells, but it inhibits activation of T cells as well. You say, well, why do you want to inhibit the activation of T cells? Because a lot of people who die of disease, they die because the T cells become so active, so fast, they have what they call a cytokine reaction. That cytokine reaction is so extreme that too many cells die off, bacteria ensues, and they end up with bacterial pneumonia, or there's several other scenarios. But the reality is is that you want your T-cells to be regulated in their desire and willingness to fight disease. What a lot of the vaccines, vaccines, and we have studies, you go to numerous scientists, we have a number of sci- uh, science studies that you can read for yourself, and you should read the scientists yourself and not just take my word for it. But they're saying that one of the things that the, the mRNA vaccine does is it stops, this is why you supposedly don't get as sick when you have the boosters and the the vaccine, it stops T-cells from functioning. So you you don't get the symptoms. You don't get the cytokine reaction. Which it says meditation can do this. It can inhibit the activation of these T-cells, which will slow the cytokine reaction. Or you can go get an mRNA vaccination and they will slow it. Unfortunately, what it appears they also do is destroy the T-cell network where in the future when you get sick, you will have less T-cell because you want it to activate T-cells but not overactivate T-cells. But there won't be any T-cells to activate if you're neutralizing T-cells because you don't get a lot of new T-cells. So your immune system will actually drop and diminish the more of these mRNA injections you get. At least that's the theory, according to some doctors. And you can go read the studies yourself. So also, this changes in the expression of the DA that we were talking about, this uh, neurotransmitter dopamine receptors. And their signaling pathways, especially in T-cells, are associated with altered immune functions in disorders like schizophrenia and Parkinson's disease. So schizophrenia and Parkinson's disease is also connected to this neurotransmitter dopamine. So can you actually help schizophrenia and Parkinson's by the regulating effects of meditation? Well, it depends on the meditation. depends on how you do it. It depends on who you are relinquishing executive control to in meditation. <laughs> so, <laughs> is it Jesus Christ or is it somebody else? And see, this is part of the process that you have to learn. And this is why you can meditate. And this is also why you should gather together. Because other people are going through the same process and they can help you. And it's also why you need to be charitable. Why you need to be forgiving. If you can't be forgiving, if you find it really difficult to be charitable, 
if you find it really difficult to speak your heart, you're probably relinquishing executive control to the wrong spirit. And this is why James wrote almost his whole epistle. By your works, you will know. By their works, you will know whether they are relinquishing executive control to the wrong spirit. See, what most people are doing is relinquishing executive control to the chief executive officer in the United States or in Australia or in England or in France or in Germany. And they say, whatever the government tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Because I obey the law. (laughs) But before they made their legal system, there was the law of nature, the will of God. And you really want to be obeying the will of God. And one of the telltale signs that you're obeying or not obeying the will of God is, are you coveting your neighbor's goods in a selfish, cruel system that forces the contributions of the people? Or are you being charitable like the Gimel, the rich man, and we're all rich to some degree, running after others to give them charity? We talked about that in the morning show when we talked about the Gimel. So you have to go back to the morning show to find out what I'm talking about. Gimel being the cause and effect. What was the first century church doing? What was the second century church doing? All the way up until the third century church came along and did something completely different. But what they were doing is those that had were sharing with those that did not have enough. They gathered together in free assemblies to take care of one another in pure religion through a daily ministration of charity. They redistributed the wealth of their society, of their community, their Christian community, by taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, rather than the option of joining the political societies, the civil societies of Rome, of Ephesus, that took care of the needy of their society by forced offering. Because those systems were cities of blood. Look up city of blood at preparing you and find out what that is. It's in the Bible. What are those cities of blood? That's finding that out is part of the deal. But the only reason I'm telling you all this is so that You can sit down, wait upon the Lord, and wait for the Lord. And when you try to do that in meditation, you will find yourself interrupted. This is the loop. And in that loop, you say, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about all this other stuff. I'm thinking about what somebody said. I'm thinking about what somebody did. I'm thinking about what I have to do. And I'm not really waiting upon the Lord. I've been distracted. Good. You just notice it. You just meditated. You just entered the loop, the time where you go back and say, I'm going to go back to sitting and waiting upon the Lord. How many times do you do this? Do you get upset that you've done this? No. Seventy times seventy times in the meditation loop, when you find yourself distracted and off thinking about things that you really don't need to think about right now because you're waiting upon the Lord, waiting for the message of the Lord, remind you, that the message of the Lord very seldom come during meditation. They come during life. Now, that's not to say that you won't wake up with some revelation. I do it all the time. Or all of a sudden I wake up and I realize, oh my gosh, this is the answer to the question I was trying to answer yesterday. (laughs) This is what I need to look up. Sometimes I know I need to look up something. I don't even know why yet until I look it up. And then I go, oh, now I see But it's during the action. 
being the doer of the word that you make the strongest revelations. But in order to make those, you have to be releasing, willing to release executive control. You're willful. Not my will, but thine. This is what Christ is saying. This is meditation. Not my will, but thine. But then you have to, you have to check this. Make sure that it's really God's will that you're listening to. That you're giving Him executive control. You, and, and then you have to put that realization into action. And you have the Bible and the doctrines of Jesus to compare it to. Am I being generous? Now see, this is why going back to, back to Moses. That he, he went and did what God said because he's going to set the people free and he thinks, oh yeah, I'm going to set the people free and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go tell Pharaoh and, but it didn't turn out. Things got worse. And, and he goes back to the Lord and says, well, what's the deal? I did what you said and, and it got worse for them and, and they're not, they didn't find their savior and they're not free. And so what's the deal? He says, well, no, I'm going to tell you a little bit more and that will be in Exodus 6. That will be in Exodus 6, which we haven't done yet. So anyway, I put another note down here. And I think this is really important. And, you know, I, I don't want to give direction. I don't want to tell people what to do and not to do. But, uh, oh, I just saw another typo. It just looked at the whole page of print. I just saw, oh, the tiny little typo. I didn't even read it. I can't read that fast. <laughs> I talk about psychedelic mushrooms. This is a subheading. Commonly known as uh, psilocybin mushrooms. There's other names, and there's other chemicals in, in these deals. Magic mushrooms, shrooms. Uh, I don't recommend that. Now, there's been some work with post-traumatic stress syndrome, and people who are OCD, you know, compulsive behavior problems, and even to sometimes people have tried it with schizophrenic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we, if you look at that whole study that I just shared with you, and, and there's links so you can go read the actual studies and there's some videos that you can go get. I didn't put them all on the network. But the links to them, you can go look at them if you want to. But the point is, not only can this retard the growth of tumors and cancers and and emotional problems they they've they've seen that you know the certain meditations and people that people who have always they've always known that it improves their well-being but what they didn't know is it can naturally boost the immune system over 220 genes were literally activated and 68 genes which were involved in interferon signaling were affected by meditation. And they compared people who are meditating with people who are not meditating in the studies. Looking at yourself with the same scrutiny, which is what meditation is all about. Just the attempt to do that. The people who even weren't good at meditating, but just attempt, they never got to a state of euphoria or any of that stuff. There were clear improvements in their health. Clear releases of dopamine and neutralizations of cortisols, which uh, is one of those stress hormones. And while you can take things like uh, psilocybin and uh, trace amounts of uh, psilocin, which is also in the mushrooms, it's only like 
0.2% to 0.4% of the psilocybin in, you know, a dried mushroom. But uh, there are other things in there, and there's hundreds of different kinds of mushrooms, so you don't know what you're getting most of the time. And you're not releasing executive control to the Holy Spirit. You're releasing executive control to a chemical. And it's a very willful act. Doing the mushrooms is a very willful act. You're going to fix it. You don't have faith in God fixing it. You don't think that God didn't put everything you need in your body to begin with. Now, certainly diet can have a difference in everything. And again, I'm not saying you can ever use these mushrooms. But I'm saying that most of the people using these mushrooms have no idea what they're doing. And the fact is that you can produce the same effects, the positive effects of mushrooms with meditation. But something additional is going on with meditation is you're looking at yourself. You're making a habit of looking at yourself. You're not willfully taking executive control of your life by going and getting the chemicals you think you need to fix things. You're saying... I trust that God can fix things. I mean, Christ never used any substance to heal people, to raise the dead or anything, except one man, the blind man. And it was also the only case in which the blind man didn't say, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me, restore my sight. (laughs) Nobody else said, hey, my uncle here is blind, he's been blind since birth, I believe, Jesus, you can restore his sight. That didn't happen. He came on upon a blind man and he says, I come to give sight where there was blind, you know, and he's just going to do it. Then he took mud, clay, like the clay from the Nile, spit in it, and rubbed it in the man's eyes. And then told the man to go wash it out. I've told this story in more more detail. But this is, and the, and the guy's eyes were healed. He didn't go get mushrooms and put on his eyes or any of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying you can't use some of these other things. I'm just saying you, you don't need to use these other things. And that you're better off not being willful. You're better off waiting upon the Lord. You're better off learning the skills of waiting upon the Lord and looking at yourself. When we go into uh, the other chapters of Exodus and 6 and they go out and see what they're doing is they're going to learn the lessons of freedom. That's really what they're going to learn is the lessons of freedom. And, and the lessons you need to know in order to be free souls under God. Yeah, mushrooms can increase brain serotonin. Uh, but you can also increase serotonin during meditation. Uh, besides the increase of dopamine, you can do that. And medica- med- meditation can produce an anxiolytic effect. What? What is an a- anxiolytic effect? <laughs> uh, it's... It's just simply treating anxiety. That's all it is. It's not a big deal. The factors decreasing anxiety during meditation are an increase in serotonin and a decrease 
levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Is your cybacillin doing that? No. Meditation is doing that. Cybacillin is not doing that. The, the, it may increase dopamine because it acts as a stimulant of the dopamine. But it isn't necessarily doing the other things that are important to the balance. And, and if we have an approach to, you know, depression, you know, one of the chief things with depression, uh, you know, I've done some shows on PTSD. PTSD, and there's all kinds of forms. You don't have to be in the military to have PTSD. You can have abusive parents or you can just have... Uh, have to have surgery or you'll be in a car accident you can do all kinds of things and have PTSD but PTSD has to do with revisiting suppressed memories suppressed traumas I mean we have traumas and we have a way of departmentalizing our minds uh, or uh, yeah departmentalizing our minds so that we put certain things in this section we close the door on that because we I, you know, like Scarlett O'Hara. Uh, I can't think about that today. I'll think about that on another day. <laughs> well, eventually the closet starts to look like one of my daughter's closets, one of my daughter's closets, where everything was piled up in the closet. And, you, you know, and if you open up the door, it all comes flooding out. Well, if you don't want PTSD, you have to go in the closet and clean up the closet too. You can't just clean up the outside room so that it looks good. And that's what meditation does. It, it peeks in your closet. It's, it's one of the side effects of meditation as you look into the closet. You go back and revisit those traumatic moments and events in your life. And God will let you do it in a, in a fashion if you're releasing executive control to him in a fashion where you can deal with it one little moment at a time. You don't necessarily get that governing effect when you use magic mushrooms. Because finding the kingdom of God is not magic. It's spiritual. So the spiritual practices of willing to do this according to God's way is way better than the chemical. And I thought it was important that I add this in the show today and take it from there. But naturally metabolized serotonin has been found at levels of 70% higher in meditators compared to the non-meditators in studies. And I have links to show you where this is found. Melatonin levels increase in the evening and the night as it is synthesized from Serotonin. Melatonin has also been known to suppress the growth of some types of cancer, specifically tumorous cancers. And so meditation has all kinds of benefits you're not going to get from your fast-track psychedelic mushrooms or any other drugs. You, you have to surrender to the will of the Father. You have to seek his ways. And, you know, I know people that are trying to promote the fact that, oh, no, this is... I mean, they were doing this with marijuana. Marijuana was the magic plant and all this stuff. And now they're doing... They're transferring many of the same arguments that people used to have for marijuana over to uh, the psilocybin mushrooms and magic mushroom shrooms, whatever you want to call it. 
And I've also dealt with guys who've had this. I've seen people die uh, on a bad trip. And most of the trips aren't bad trips, necessarily. They're not necessarily positive trips. They're certainly not as positive as meditation can be. But you're not going to trick God with meditation. You're not going to trick him with mushrooms. You're not going to trick him with chemicals. You're not going to trick him with magic phrases. You have to actually walk the walk. You have to become that doer of the word. And not simply the doer of your uh, statement of faith or your doctrinal statement. I mean, the, 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 this, I'm still working on that page. Eventually, I, I may reveal where it's at and everything. But the reality is is that there is so much to learn. I haven't been back to the station, so if people are raising their hand, I, w- I won't even see it. Oh, we got all kinds of people that have come on. Okay, if there's any... Oh, we got somebody who's raised their hand. Somebody waiting. I don't know if I need to write down that number. So I'm going to answer the call. The person who has their hand raised will take a question. I don't recognize the number. Let's see, I'll turn on the mic. It's done it. Okay, we're live now. Can you hear me in your phone? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay. Oh, I know that voice. (laughs) Hey, uh, I was wondering, is Die Hard a Christian movie? (laughs) Everything's Christian if a Christian is watching it. You can you can show me almost any movie and I can turn it into a Christian message. <laughs> it all depends on your motivation for watching it. Did I misspeak there? I meant to say Christmas movie. Oh, a Christmas movie. <laughs> I thought you said Christian movie. Okay. The one that takes place at Christmas, I guess it is. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> you know, it's it's whatever you want it to be. You know, down in Australia right now, it's really hot for Christmas, and nobody is dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> or maybe everybody is, I don't know. So, that's your question. You've come on to the Keys of the Kingdom to ask me that question. <laughs> I know the voice. You're not getting away with this. Well, who, who is it? <laughs> uh, I'll ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. Is that hint enough? <laughs> um, just further up north from you, Alex Pfeiffer here. Okay. Yeah. Isn't all your movies Christmas movies? Living in Christmas Valley? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, you could you could put it that way. So, do you have any yeah, other questions? Our, uh, that's just the pressing question that people have been arguing about for decades. <laughs> Is it that old? Is that movie that old? Seems like it. <laughs> you have you have a Merry Christmas, Drake. Okay, you too. And give my best to your family. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Let's see. We got a lot of list of people here that have called in. Anybody else have a more question on the topic? <laughs> I guess I did mention. I, I did mention Die Hard as a joke listing off the Christmas movies. Because sometimes we have a lot more people on the call. I notice that a lot of people have joined the call. But if anybody has a question, we can, we can take it. I'm, 
you know, we're, we're running on to two hours now. So we literally, they've given, the session has given us three hours every Saturday afternoon. And we can do three hours. And we can have guests on. And if I know your number and you want to come on and you have questions, you can tell us ahead of time. You can get a hold of me ahead of time and say you want to ask a question about a particular topic. Or if there's a group, if there's a congregation that wants to ask a question about a particular topic, or they want me to address certain subjects, this is the place to do it. And you can come on and they can hear your voice and you can ask the question and we can we can address it. So uh, I see another hand come up. Okay. We're going to take this call. I recognize the number. Okay, I think your mic is live. Do you have a question or a comment? (laughs) Hi there. Uh, I I may or may not have uh, put uh, Mr. Pfeiffer up to that previous question. It don't take much to put Mr. Pfeiffer up to almost anything. (laughs) Uh, He's a brave soul, and we have to give him that. <laughs> we we need more brave souls. Yeah, we need brave souls. We take them if we can get them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> no, it's it, it's a good call. And I mean, it's the holidays, so we don't have to be too sober or somber all the time. You know, uh, you know. I used to say to one of my brothers, I won't say which one, that you know the topics that I talk about, they're serious. They're not morbid. You know, if if people really knew the culture of the time of Christ, a lot of the things that he says, I have a whole book up here on the shelf somewhere. I can't put my finger on it from this distance, but uh, it's the humor of Christ. He said a lot of stuff that God chuckles from the audience, but most people don't get it. They don't they don't realize how humorous Christ was. I mean, he's talking about serious stuff. He's, he doesn't want everybody to become somber and, and morbid and stuff like that. But, uh, and if people listen not always just to the words, and this is really important when arguing with people or seemingly arguing with people about some of these important topics, is that you have to listen to the soul of the person. And they can say a lot of things and it's not going to upset you. It's not going to hurt your feelings. It's not going to, it's not going to push, push your buttons, even though sometimes that's their intent to push your button. So did you want to talk about anything? I sent that newspaper article off to the ministers group that, uh, that Ruthie sent me, sent the family group this afternoon. And so they'll, they'll see it and we'll talk about it probably on the call Monday. But uh, I don't know. Did you have any topics that you want to talk about? I know that I'll probably have to join the family pretty soon and not go the full three hours. But if you come up with something, we'll talk about it. I still see a lot of callers here. Well, I was curious. Um, you know, I've heard, I've been listening to the call um, and, and the program uh, for the last few hours, and I think it might be wise to cut it shorter than uh, three hours. But it is Christmas, and uh, it's also, more importantly, very cold. And uh, there's been a lot of talk in the community about um, people in need um, during this type of season and when the temperatures are below zero in many cases. And we have people in a very rural community, um, you know, who are sometimes sleeping in their cars, um, who, uh, you know, have nowhere to go. They don't have family. 
And uh, we sometimes feel the need as a community to be charitable and try to help them, which is good, and we should feel that way. Um, I guess the question is sometimes is the discernment that we use in being charitable and um, in which what cases it's appropriate. Uh, I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. I know you and I have talked about this before. Well, actually, I, uh, on the morning program, I, I mentioned it briefly, the, a particular incident that we were talking about the other night. And, yeah, the the fact is is that if you're going to give charity, and, and I talked about it, somebody's driving up from San Jose in a couple of days. If you're going to give charity to people, you have to give it in a way that strengthens them. And, and they had a particular experience, and we, we saw this experience in, in the local community. But uh, the fact that they a lot of times that people don't want to, that they think that somehow other that being poor is a virtue, that we should just be jumping at the opportunity of helping the poor by giving them stuff for free. And that doesn't really help them. It actually addicts them. And, of course, that's the theme of the FDR articles, the LBJ articles, the New Deal that this is how you and you go back to Polybius uh, that that people if they won't come with their hat in their hand so to speak with a humble heart to receive help then you probably shouldn't help them and, and again knowing what to do for them and what not to do for them comes back to what's the Holy Spirit say, you know, people say, what would Jesus do? Well, what did Jesus do? You, he would sometimes ask questions when the people didn't give him the answer. Or didn't, they, you tell me nothing, I tell you nothing. He healed all kinds of people that came to him. But what does it mean by come to him? See, if you're helping people that are not willing to come to the character of Christ, not willing to abide by the humility of Christ, that's another thing. In the doctrinal statement, there was no mention of humility. No mention of forgiveness, no mention of humility, no mention of charity, no mention of love. And of course, love and charity being the same word, your charity must be an expression that actually assists and aids the spirit in that individual to draw that spirit closer to the spirit of Christ. If you just give to them, you've probably drawn them closer to the things of the world. The things of the world become more important and they become less relevant to the poor person. If we were to start a poor house or a... uh, maybe not call it a poor house, but, you know, uh, a place for people who are homeless or what have you. Now, if somebody, we find somebody freezing along the side of the road, and and growing up, my family see me bring home people from, we didn't even know. <laughs> we eventually built a, a quarters that we could put them in so that my family remained safe. <laughs> they weren't in the house with them. But, yeah, you warm them up, you maybe give them some food, but then, you know, like I said to one of the first people we ever did this with, a whole family of people, I says, visitors visit and leave. Travelers travel and leave. If you're going to stay longer, you're either a servant or a son. 
And I said, I already got sons. <laughs> that was a stark revelation for me because I was surprised I even said that. It was coming out of my mouth. But that's really important is that if people expect me to help them, I will probably help them one way or another. But it has to be a way to strengthen them. And I know what strengthens the character of an individual is not being helped, but helping others. So if we were to have a halfway house or any of these things, and I can, I, I've talked to people who've been in the drug houses, and I know people who've had to go to the drug houses. You know, one of them was telling me a story not too long ago about when he first went in, he was a heroin addict. And when he first went in, they gave him a bed to sleep in. And there was another guy that was sleeping there too, and he often was sleeping on the floor while this guy was going through withdrawal. And then finally when that guy got through withdrawal and he got his feet back underneath him and he wasn't shaking and sweats and all that other stuff, then he moved to the next position. The next position was sleeping on the floor next to another drug addict who came in and the drug addict got the bed, but now he slept on the floor. <laughs> they didn't always sleep on the floor, but when the guy was going through the bad stages, they would stay in there with him, and there was only one bed, and so he would find himself either sitting in the chair or laying out on the floor. But they went from being cared for by somebody to learning to care for somebody else. And if people aren't willing to do that in taking care of the poor all the stuff you give them in the world will just make them poorer spiritually. And back to the double gimmel. If you're not helping people spiritually, which is the absolute opposite of what Noah Harari wants to do, he wants to take away their spirituality and make them better machines. <laughs> but if you're not making them better spirits, you're, you're robbing them of their humanity while you're giving them charity. It's not really charity. It's back to what I said, is that giving to the poor without the wisdom of God is cutting the throat of the poor with a dull knife. It takes longer to kill them, but they're going to die just the same. So charity has to be out of love, and love is tough love. All love is tough love. Everything else is just affection, but love is tough. So anyway, those are my comments on it. And uh, we would love to do that. We've actually been contemplating more and more and uh, uh, about building a center where we can take care of people of different stages and calibers of need. You know, old people, young people. We will be very, very demanding. And we've, we've put together a lot of material on this subject that if you're not willing to start making good choices in your life, we're not going to finance the bad choices, which is what the modern welfare system is doing. It's financing bad choices. You know, not being husband and wife, not taking care of your children. We'll take care of your children. We will educate your children. You know, it's very important that the parents make the sacrifice to take care of their children. And But that doesn't just begin, you're not going to hopefully begin by becoming a parent. You'll hopefully begin by becoming a responsible individual. And that's what people have to do. 
And so, yeah, that, those are my thoughts on that. And we've now almost completed the second hour. I think we have in 28 seconds. So, is there anything else that people think is needy? Or maybe we'll just bring this two-hour show to an end. <laughs> well, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you for taking the call. Okay, so I'm going to play the outro. And uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. I see some of you have been waiting for a long time. But... Uh, Until we meet again on the network, God bless and may peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.